Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. This is Mark Ramsey of the Ministry Collaborative, and I'm here with my colleagues, Jennifer Maxell, Ryan Bonfilio, Adam Mixon, and Adam Borneman. Getting into these podcasts, we tend to just start talking. So let me throw something out to you all, and let's talk about it in regard to where the church is, because I know we've, we've all got conversations and perspectives. Just today, as we're recording this, the American Psychological Association released a study recommending that every adult in this country under the age of 65 should be screened for anxiety disorders, and all adults of any age should be checked for depression. And they're saying that more than 30% of adults reported having symptoms of anxiety disorder or depressive disorder this summer. For all the churches out there that are struggling, I think this both reflects what they must be feeling, but it also seems to me to put more imperative on the church. Mark, I, I think those numbers in some ways, and I'm not a psychology expert, I have to get my wife in here to talk about that, point to this sense of a letdown. You know, we were all anticipating reopening and things getting back to normal. There was this, even after two years of COVID, there was a sense of hopefulness that when things reopened, that things would be better, that there would be new excitement around our worshiping communities, that there would be some emergence. And it just hasn't happened. Or it hasn't happened the way that we anticipated it, which um, lends to a greater sense of exhaustion that clergy and congregations have been experiencing already because of the pandemic and all of that's happened over these last several years. Yes, therapy. Yes, get screened. But what from our toolkit, what from our story do we share that can offer some hope or at least steady folks as we move forward? Adam, one of the things I think of to build off of that is that if the church is truly to be a place that communities turn to for care, for trauma-informed guidance and ministry, for any of that to begin to happen, we in the church have to start being honest and vulnerable about the way we are hurting. I know we like to say that the church is a hospital for sinners, but we act as if to be in the church, we have to have all of it figured out. We put on our Sunday best, and sure, we say there's sin, and the church is the place to deal with it, and there's grief and loss, but we don't actually ever talk about that in the church. We have not practiced talking about that in the church, so here we are in this moment. These stats are real, and I think it's very real that the community doesn't see the church as a place where you can have those conversations about the real grief, the real depression, the real trauma, and the only way that will change is if people in pulpits, people in leadership begin to be honest and vulnerable about what they are going through. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Ryan. And I think there's this saying, you know, physician heal yourself, right? And I think that part of what the challenge is, is that a lot of us as clergy are still focusing on the church and the health and well-being of the church and not necessarily the health and well-being of the people in the church. Mm. That there's still this idea that if we can make the church itself a healthier, better 
place, then people will come in there and automatically become healthier and better as a result. And I think we're seeing that that's not the case. I think that there are a lot of people who still really want to be involved in their churches. They miss the connection. They miss the community. But I think when they come, that the healing bomb that we read about and preach about and talk about, there's a disconnect somewhere where I think people are not really connecting with that healing bomb. Jen, I think that is spot on, especially when you think about Jesus' healing ministry and how wherever he was, there was some type of healing that was taking place. And somewhere along the line, we became gathering places for the healed instead of the healing, which is a miss, especially at a time like this when so many are exhausted and tired and to Mark's earlier point, depressed and anxious. The church is not a place of healing, which means that we've neglected something of the gospel. I want to draw on this a little bit because you're getting at something theological that I think is at stake, and that is we spend so much time in these conversations talking about, or just in the culture, we spend a lot of time talking about work and rest and busyness and not busyness and COVID and post-COVID and how all those things relate to our energy and our activity and what we should be getting to. And I, I think the really important question in communities of faith in the church is, what is the Spirit doing? How do we participate in it? I think when we get outside of the bounds of the life and work of God, that's when we start to fall into the trap of whether we're working too hard or whether we're not resting enough or you know, whether we need to be doing more. And so it always needs to start with a theological question of what is the Spirit doing in our midst? Or Adam, to you and Jennifer's point, you know, what does healing look like in this community and how do we avail ourselves to it? How do we participate in it? It's like the psalmist says, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I think it's a really important mantra for so many of us right now. Yeah, I think that's a powerful word, Adam, because when you made that statement, what is the spirit doing? I was just sitting here and really thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, what is the spirit doing? And I've limited my news intake these days because it's just so depressing. But I'm like, wow, it seems like the spirit is lamenting. It seems like the spirit is grieving. And I think part of the challenge is we haven't figured out how to lament and grieve in community. And we haven't figured out how to lament and grieve in Christian community in particular. And I think that that is still such a relevant part of our theological framework and our religious experience that I think we haven't really tapped into. That could be so incredibly helpful right now. I think what we're seeing happens in all organizations We try to fix systems or create systems and separate the systems from the people that actually make up the system. So to what Ryan was saying earlier about with so much emphasis on church and making the church right, and it's the people, right? And the people, that includes us. And if we are not healing, then we are not, we're not healing. If that makes sense, it keeps coming up. This work that Jennifer has done all over last year about this wholeheartedness. We are not healing. 
which means that we are not in position to heal Mm -hmm. or to participate in the healing work that the Spirit desires to do through us in the communities that we serve. Yeah, shorthand that we all use often is that we're not special. Pastors aren't special. Churches aren't special. I hear that as a freeing, hopeful word, not as a derogatory word. Because the minute we don't have to be special, we can be authentic. Mm -hmm. We can tell the truth. We can let the warts show. We can let the rips, the tears, the dings be displayed for the world because we're not having to uphold something. And I think because for a long time, and again, I am first in line for the critique I'm making, having led congregations for 30 years, I think at some point most faith communities cease asking the question that Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Churches right now are almost zombie churches. They're operating or trying to get back to a sense of what they used to do. If we listen carefully to what people are asking for, they're asking for something in many cases different than what churches are offering. And in the case where we see vitality in churches, which let's say there are many vital faith communities around us, those I think by and large are faith communities that are listening keenly to the culture and to the people and trying to answer the questions being asked rather than the questions they want to because they've they've already got prepared. Mm. What you are orienting, Mark, is us starting to realize that our comfort mm. yeah. is not the priority. Yeah. And I think a lot of us coming out of the pandemic kind of like, okay, well, let's tweak the system that worked before and let's update this and, you know, we'll add a green screen behind it and we'll stream it out and we'll kind of retrofit it and it'll be this cool new thing that kind of looks exactly like we did before because that worked and that's what we're comfortable with. And, you know, what we're seeing is that's just not the case. I think in culture at large, we're seeing people really drawn to experiences where they are able to enjoy really deep community and connection with other people. I think that us being isolated for so long and all the ways that we've been isolated has really put a premium on that face-to-face connection. But it has to be a connection, I feel like, where we walk away feeling better, We walk away feeling more whole and more healed and community does heal. And Christian community is not the only type of community that heals. And so perhaps the question that we need to be asking is, is our community, are our services, are our programs, are these healing bombs where we really are allowing people to connect deeply with the spirit? I hate to boil all of that down in three words, but to me, what's at stake is really for us to learn the difference between healing medication and sedative. What we've presented has not really been healing. Mm -hmm. It's been something to take the edge off, Mm -hmm. right? It's been a sedative. It's been medication, but it is not the healing work of the gospel, which is ongoing. And it speaks to our culture too, though, because everybody wants to pill to make it better fast. But if you're going to be well, that 
demands lifestyle change, right? There's no shortcut to it. Well, it means that faith can't be a hobby. And for many of us, faith is something we do in our spare time or when we have the time and not something that we understand as I read scripture that's going to change everything. And Jennifer, to your point, something that's going to probably make me profoundly uncomfortable as it provides me the comfort I need. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that, but every time I've let God work in that way in me, I have become a profoundly more grounded, fulfilled, and at peace person. And Mark, I would say to that, you know, I, what I see in churches, and it's probably true of me if I'm being brutally honest, is that I go to church when things are well, when things are ordered and right, then I feel good enough to go to church. And I think part of that is a deep sickness in my own spiritual self-understanding about shame and guilt and how I want that to be hidden in my worst moments. But part of it reflects on what the church has been known for. It's a place you put on your Sunday best, and you show up, and you have your bleep together, and you worship, and that's good. But then when life falls apart, you get divorced, a relationship falls apart, you lose a job, that's when you leave church. And it's so opposite, right, of how—I mean, you all know this, but it's so counterintuitive. But if that's the way we're presenting, if that's how the church is showing up in the world, why in the world would someone struggling with addiction, struggling with mental health issues, in a fractured relationship, why would they ever go to church? If that's the image of what the body is, this healthy whole body, it's a hospital for the really healthy people. That doesn't make any sense. And if I can sharpen that just for a minute, why would anybody who is struggling with something that deep go to church and have their experience at church be a two and a half hour committee meeting right. where everything's been said, but not everyone has said it? Why would they go for endless loops of planning that never addresses these core things right. that, let's face it, most of us are feeling? And Mark, I see it in my tradition. It could happen in a Bible study, but I'm thinking liturgically on Sunday morning when there's prayers of the people and the things that we pray for are is nothing about us, right? Where is our life falling apart? Yeah. That's not part of the prayers of the people. So we keep the things that need healing at a distance, Right, Because then we don't need to name the fact that we are deeply broken. And so if that's the sort of prayer you hear prayed at church, of course you don't show up when life falls apart. Of course you don't show up, Mark, when you fall on that in those stats. And what those stats tell us that you led with is it's everyone. Mm -hmm. So surprise, surprise, our pews are pretty empty. Yeah, and I think I was just having another conversation yesterday with a clergy colleague, and I have a lot of these conversations where my colleagues around the country from all sorts of traditions, they get all of what you just said. They're nodding along and they're thinking that's exactly right. And the real struggle for them is how do I move forward in this ministry world that I'm in with these sets of expectations? Right. How do I attend to those things in a way and not let this fall apart? Because someone is expecting me to show up to the three-hour committee meeting that I really don't want to go to. Yep. Someone's expecting me to run the stewardship campaign that I don't think is going to matter much in the end. I mean, there's that very long list. And the conversation I was having yesterday was someone who said, you know, the thing that really energizes me, the thing that really intersects with my calling is the Wednesday morning Bible study that I lead. He says, that feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. He says, but I also am worried that it's something that's going to be on the chopping block if it doesn't lead to X for the powers that be. So I want to acknowledge for our colleagues that that's really where this gets difficult. And that's where I spend a lot of my conversational energy is trying to navigate those choppy waters. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think what's at stake, Adam, is in the church, we always offer up, oh, if we do our jobs right, we should put ourselves out of business. And (laughs) if we really are about this disciple and evangelism life, then, you know, nobody should be showing up because everybody should be out in the world evangelizing. And well, part of that transparency and authenticity is for us to admit to ourselves that that's one of the lies that we tell ourselves. In theory, that sounds good. But in reality, we don't want to put ourselves out of business because we are concerned about how we are paying for our families and our livelihood and how we continue to be gainfully employed if these meetings and all of this other stuff isn't happening. And I think that that's where this idea of like new metrics of ministry and figuring out how we really assess Hmm. the health and vitality of congregations outside of the numbers and those things, because that's what is going to allow us to start really operating in different ways is when we can say, no, we did not have the three hour whatever meeting and no, we're not doing this anymore. But look, this is the measure of why this is important. And this is the measure of why this is working. And we need to stick at it as a faith community. And I think when we can kind of start turning that narrative around, I think we will start to be feeling empowered as opposed to defeated. Mm. And I think so many people are just feeling so defeated right now. And Jennifer, I'd love to to pick up right there with our next conversation, because I think you've hit on something absolutely crucial. And I'll just add, as all of us have been talking through this, I'm like, pastors are isolated and they're subject to these same stats. They cannot do this alone. It's got to be done with others. Let's pick up right there next time we talk. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.